0: Hi, Roxy. Welcome to the Uncovering Elite Performers podcast. Um, Thank you so much. Really excited to have you here on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Janjo. It's great to be here. Um, Really appreciate this being my first podcast ever. So thanks for making it happen.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And you are very much um, an elite performer um, by the standards that we put forward in this show, which is um, excelling versus peers as um, a top performer, as an individual contributor, former Salesforce, former similar, similar web where you were high performer and now leading a startup in region, which is a huge challenge in itself, not for the faint hearted. Can you talk me through your foundations or what I might need to know to understand how we got here to be in such a high performance discipline like sales?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um... Look, I think I think my motivations to be in this industry have definitely changed for me over time. Um, but what's been consistent is that I value teamwork and excellence above all. Um, I've found that you know I'm hundred percent in the zone when you can feel the momentum around you and everyone is winning, and I I genuinely thrive on that momentum. Um, but look, ten years ago, my immediate answer to that question would have been money, uh, and that quickly evolved into the opportunities that that came with the uh, business cultures that rewarded performance, um, and and I like and value the recognition that comes with that, and especially at SimilarWeb, um, you know, consistent performance. Whilst it wasn't a immediate short period of time, I'd only been there kind of uh, eight months or so. That. Offered up a once in a lifetime opportunity to work closely with the CRO and move to San Francisco and establish the West Coast office there um, in partnership with her, and that was a very real, you know, career highlight for me.
0: Were you a competitor as a as a child?
1: Yeah, I guess there's probably yeah, a lot to unpack in in why in you know why people are driven for recognition and excellence um i think i was competitive i think growing up in cape town you know it is a competitive culture but there is always a high bar to succeed and i think early on in my life growing up in school and and you know i quickly realized that you get more the more you put in and that opens up more doors and opportunities for you. So whether it's, you know, leading the sports team in high school or it's getting a scholarship or what have you, I I think that hard work does pay off and especially in in sales. And I like that type of culture, you know, it doesn't celebrate mediocrity.
0: Can you remember when you first came to that realisation? Was it inherent or what did your parents do or what what impact did they have (laughs) about you?
1: Um, I think I just, yeah, it was I think inherent. I think I always tried to give everything my best shot and still do. Um, and try to be uh the best that I can can be in whatever I'm doing. Um and I and I think I was encouraged to to, you know, just make my carve my own path. And and by doing that, I'm going to need to create my own opportunities. Um I immigrated from Cape Town to New Zealand when I was uh 15 going on 16 so it was a very challenging time you know in my in my kind of teenage years but i i think having that attitude of i'm going to make everything the best that it can be and i'm going to give my best shot to things i'm really interested in has always just been really inherent you know
0: how has that identity manifested itself in how you approach running a startup
1: um yeah, I, I think that I have high expectations. So I think it's manifested and probably what attracts me to roles like this with Binder and has in the past is that it, when when a, when a scale up like Binder is entering a new market, you need people that are very proactive and have high expectations of what the region or the office is going to achieve. Um and that is a natural fit for me. Like it's really where I thrive. And then there's kind of this, it's a win-win for everyone, right? They need the best people on the ground to do the best job, to achieve the best outcome very quickly. And I thrive on achieving that outcome. Um, So yeah, I think that that's really why I've come back kind of full circle to the scale up world and leaving Salesforce because I realized quite quickly that those inherent skills and attributes that I have I can't really apply it in a in an organization like Salesforce.
0: What are the key differences of selling in a startup? For somebody who might be thinking, I've got an itch for it. I'd like to see if I could do it. What are the key differences between your role at Salesforce and the role you're in now?
1: Yeah. Um, so... I think, firstly, I'd caveat that if there if there is a young kind of upstart, or or actually someone who's transitioning from the, a career into sales, um, regardless of age, you know, starting somewhere like Salesforce is great because you get exposure to uh, so many different roles and um, and and how an organization like Salesforce, with eighty thousand employees, goes to market, and and so you know that is an amazing. Start for anyone in their sales career. Um, But thinking about an organizational sales motion like Salesforce, all the thinking in the approach has been done for you. And there's very little scope to create anything new. You know, the methodology is really locked and operationalized. The partner or the channel managers have their strategy. sales plug into a steady stream of marketing activities um versus the other way around. And I think the the difference is really in being in a startup environment is that you get to leverage entrepreneurialism, you get to leverage creative skills, you get to leverage initiative. Um, and I really enjoy feeling like I can think for myself and I can be self-sufficient in that endeavor. Um, so there's definitely different attributes. I think Salesforce, you know, joining them in their, uh, trajectory that they're at now, it's more of a maintenance and growth role in sales. You know, you're picking up a territory that's been saturated and you're kind of waiting for the next thing to take to them, like AI, for example, to sell or, or Slack. Um, but with establishing a, a brand or a reputation or credibility for for an unknown organization in a territory here, it takes a completely different level of proactivity, resilience, grit, and not being afraid to experiment um, and, and iterate, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I think also here doubling down on relationships, I think APAC is a market that really res- respects and has – relies on relationships. And so starting up a office with no overlap of a mayor or US stakeholders, you know, can have an impact to your day to day. But on the flip side, the opportunity there is that it's meant I've really needed to double down on relationship building to navigate things very quickly with no working hour overlap. And not many people would enjoy that kind of unpredictability. Right. Um, Whereas I really like, I like the dynamics that that brings and needing to navigate that
0: how do you manage having such high personal expectations and being able to feel free to experiment particularly within a startup how do you manage
1: that yeah um so i probably have needed so my my own high expectations of myself um probably did lead to an unhealthy dose of working you know 70 80 hour weeks in other regions um especially in San Francisco uh and that was completely self-driven um but it also achieved on the on the flip side you know a multi-million dollar year in an emerging territory so yeah I think in terms of managing it I, I probably everything that I do, whether it's um like at Binder, for example, we have a lot of template slides that we can use and leverage, but I never feel afraid to take that story and then localize it or put a slightly different approach on it, or just pick and choose great elements for different things to convey the 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 story, but then also ultimately get to the outcome that I want. So yeah, I I do put High expectations on myself to achieve the desired outcome quickly, but in that endeavor, I um you know I really relish that opportunity. I'm I'm not you know afraid or or hold back in that.
0: And you mentioned that the team environment is really important. Because mm. if you start up, you'll have um, regional peers um, and resources from HQ. How important is it to have that mentality versus a typical lone wolf?
1: type Mm. sales
0: profile that we sometimes see.
1: yeah lone wolf uh profile is a detriment to a new founding team or um or startup or scale up that's establishing an office in a new market it is uh, it creates a sense of isolation and uh disconnect you know um I think that attributes that I see work really well are those that are highly collaborative. You know, I, personally, I enjoy the choreography that comes with bringing together stakeholders, you know, globally or locally, to drive the rapport and the trust and the credibility that I need in my deal cycles. Um, lone wolf operators typically won't do that. You never really know what's going on with a deal, you know. Um, but then especially you need to have people that are very open, very collaborative, very transparent in a satellite office, because you, you know, you need to be able to bubble up what's going on. Otherwise out of sight, out of mind, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, I've seen lone wolf operators in various organizations and it seems like a real solitary endeavor. And I think sales is absolutely a team sport. You know, and and the joy is when everyone is feeling like they're winning and that SEs or BDRs or sales managers all get the recognition in landing a logo or landing an expansion, because it always takes a a, a village, you know.
0: I imagine showing what's working and what's what's um being successful and then translating that back to the business and being able to scale it is also important. So perhaps if a lone wolf is um, doing things their way and maybe not doc- document them or showing uh, good use cases. There's no scale um, for you to build out and um, replicate that. I suspect too.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, you know the best salespeople like to share what they've done that worked. Um, I love to share a, con- a you know a slide that really helped open up a discussion or. A revised commercial approach that got us to a great win-win for both. Because I like to duplicate my efforts, um, and and I think you know that's probably also why I went down the leadership and management route with similarweb because I could I could multiply my approaches with many AEs, whether it was you know UK or or the US, um, and you need to have people who are willing to share. Uh, Without worrying what's in it for them, you know, and I probably, to my to to my detriment, I will share too much, and then I spend up, I end up spending so much time helping other people, listening to their call recordings, helping them draft their cadence, you know, helping them uh, position something, and then uh, talking back to high expectations, you know, getting really stuck in on other people's calls to support them. So yeah, that's a careful a careful balance too, but. I, lone wolves are 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 kind of a sad, sad attribute in the sales world because while some of them might be really successful, it just, it, it looks like a lonely place to be, you know, and I really value here a, a big part of my intention to join a scale up again after Salesforce was to be part of the founding team and be part of creating and building what a good sales culture feels like and looks like. Um, and we're in the early days of doing that at binder, but I think it's um, you know it's really important. One of tactically, one of the ways we do that is with a um, just an APAC sales channel, you know, and we'll bubble up great call recordings, great use cases, good um, customer stories or or anecdotes. And it just helps to build our profile here globally, considering we don't have any working hour overlap.
0: You you make a really good point, having picked a great startup to join. I think it's very, very tough for somebody looking to join a startup to get the right one, considering the attrition rate being so high, Mm -hmm. of course. Could you talk us through some of the signs you look for when assessing a startup to join and perhaps talk us through why Binder was the pick for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that... People are looking for different things at different stages in their career. Um, What I was looking for, uh, you know, this time last year was a place where I had strong mentorship and access to leaders that I wanted to learn from. Um, So that was very much top of mind for me. I also was very intentional about wanting to speak and sell something every day that I didn't get bored speaking about um and I also you know wanted to sell something that was quite straightforward in terms of the problem that it solved but also it wasn't like a it didn't take you know years to implement um, it was very kind of plug and plug and play because I had great success with that at SimilarWeb. Um, you know, it took very little to get activated, and the ROI, ROI from the solution was felt almost immediately. And I love that kind of pace. Um, so, whilst an important part of the tech stack, you know, it's not underpinning the entire tech stack like what a Salesforce is. So for me, it was definitely it was leadership, it was product. Um, and it was culture. Like, did the chemistry feel right? Um, unfortunately, in my interview process with Binder, I was able to meet the CEO in San Francisco. I, I happened to have a wedding in that region at the time of my interviews. So I could, I could see the office, I could meet the CEO in person, and I could get a feel for what kind of leader he was and you can tell so much by the types of questions that people ask you you know are they really focused just on numbers or are they also focused on what makes you you um and the ceo of binder was very much focused on that latter part um so so that was top of mind for me and and you know i'm 9 months into the role and i've i i get that i i have a fortnightly with the ceo you know he, he i have mentorships across the business um, you know, with specific leaders and in, in customer success. Uh, and I've people that I feel are invested in my career because eventually I would want to go back out of the individual contributor, um, space and then go into leadership because I have, and I feel, and I've seen before that I have a lot of value and impact to drive, um, in that, in that space. So I wanted to find somewhere where there was longevity. But there was also an investment in that right from the right from the outset. Uh, whereas for some people who might listen to this podcast, you know, it might be they they're looking specifically to find somewhere that they can make a ton of money um, and they don't really care about the product fit. And maybe they're not thinking about leadership or they're not thinking about their five-year plan. They just want somewhere where they can, you know, really have that uh, kind of um confidence that the product will sell. Um, and then uh, the likes of a Salesforce, for example, would, would suit them. But I think for anyone going for a role or thinking about changing their career, being intentional about what you're looking for and really thinking that through, um, is, is kind of paramount.
0: You're absolutely right. And we see this, um, we see this in our line of work every day, the, um, the act of being deliberate in identifying the right business to join, and then being really deliberate in winning that opportunity, the the compound effect on doing that is, is drastic. I mean, mm. in in a real life example, we might have two people who come from the same organization um, who've been having similar results in a similar segment, and the next role that they choose, there could be 40,000 difference in the salaries of those two people based on how they approach the their career trajectory and which Um, vendor they decided to join and how they went about interviewing so it is absolutely massive how important is product fit in a rep success
1: huge i i think you live and die on on product fit um yeah absolutely huge uh so you know my most of my career has been in martech um and I really saw the value of product market fit at SimilarWeb where it it really felt like it was flying off the shelves <laughs> um, uh, until things got, you know, we we kind of saturated, we need to focus more on expansion. But it is selling something at the right time with the right pitch at the right price point makes a huge difference to your, a- as an AE, your bottom line and your potential to earn. So i would definitely spend a lot of time and have looking into product due diligence um kind of you know the addressable market uh what the opportunity and what the upside is because that's basically what you're selling into both in terms of your time and the next step for your career really
0: What what's the checklist that a more junior person might be able to tick off when making that analysis because it's, it's a tough analysis right there's some macro elements involved um, you might need to understand software to an extent or have some time served to really think, I think they're going to go well. Are there any other things I'm thinking, you know, perhaps finding a mutual or finding a mentor to do some digging for you? Are there any other activities that they might do to identify whether it's the right startup?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think firstly, they need to understand it. Um, like even, even at just a very very high level just get and understand what the product solves even at a bdr right um because they're going to be speaking about it day in and day out and if they find it complicated or confusing or a bit dry from the outset it's probably not going to magically kind of change you know so i if I think back, like this, this month marks 15 years of being in sales for me. Um, and when I made the shift from publisher media sales to SaaS, I I followed my nose in terms of what I was interested in, and what made sense to me. Um, and, and I think that that advice still still rings true. You know, we had a BDR here who was interviewing with Binder, but also interviewing with another company who sold like legal tech. And or something in that world. And at the end of the day, I said to him, like, it depends, like, do you just what do you want to speak about? Because you'll be spending so much of your hours talking about it day in and day out. Look at, you know, try and just kind of rehearse what a conversation could be like if you did work at that organization. Does it make you feel good about yourself, about your decision? Um, so I think just you know, not underestimating gut instinct um as a junior in that in that approach mentorship is a good shout like who you know who who could you ask someone to do a bit of research or advice for um which i did with someone at, uh, that i worked that similar web on binder to get their gut feel uh and um and then just kind of do a little bit of homework on on the future of tech and i i kind of trawled those lists you know where it's like the top 100 fastest growing startups and you hear of startups that you've never heard of before, but look at like the trends in the industries. You know, there's a lot in obviously AI, in in energy, um, and and all of those, which I'm absolutely fascinated in. So you can start to get a sense of trend of uh of where um where the industry is going, but also how you can future proof your career in that endeavor too. I
0: really like that advice, the simple gut check i've read you talk about this before and you know reverting to does this feel like something that i want to be doing that's a great one so times are going to be really tough right There are going to be days particularly an str where you know i really don't want to make those calls today um and that's compounded if it's something that you don't really want to talk about either so
1: yeah i think you really need to to relate or at least understand the problem that you're solving because that is you know in theory what we should be talking about is the problems that we solve and does that interest you enough? Um, you know, and if the answer is, mm, I'm not sure, probably not, then it's not for you. But if the answer is, yes, actually, I am interested in that, then then definitely seek to learn more, you know.
0: You've had a great career so far in sales, taking you around the world, opened up a lot of life experiences, and I'm sure, um, you know, certain rewards uh, economically as well. Is sales... meritocracy in your opinion
1: yes i do and i liked your linkedin post um you know today and i absolutely relate to that i think i i like to think that that sales is absolutely a, a meritocracy um because to your point in your post you can be from any background and you can be at any age and you can absolutely kill it um you know my transitioning from media sales to SaaS, I it was my first uh SaaS sales role um at Percolate, and I killed it because I came from a marketing agency background, but I had no SaaS selling experience. I just understood the problem fit. Um, so I think in AEs and I think BDRs and I think you know, CSMs, there it absolutely is a meritocracy, and I like that about sales, but experience has also shown me. That that's not always the case in mid management or leadership, and you can unfortunately have people in 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 the wrong positions that are ineffective. Um, and I and I think that um, this is probably due to tenure loyalty. I feel like employers are so scared right now of losing talent that they throw anything at them. Even though they might not be the right person for the role, um, and truth be told, you know I have very little tolerance for that because I feel like I can I can just smell inefficiency or inexperience a mile away, and I I don't have any time for that.
0: Sure. Do, do you mean those appointments for leadership roles um, are coming from the same channels? In that sometimes people without experience are. Getting those opportunities because they look and sound like yeah. the their predecessors.
1: Yeah, I think there definitely can be biased in in those appointments, um for sure. And you know, and, and I think in in much larger organizations, I think that's more prolific, where you can hide to a certain degree, and then you can blame, you know, leaders in in those positions can blame challenges on the economy. Or whatever. Um, but typically in the scale up that I've worked for, people have earned their stripes to be in the role that they're in. Um, and I especially see that at Binder in the customer success side and on the sales side. But there are also still some people that are maybe in more kind of lower management roles, you know, the kind of not VP level, but just kind of at that management level, uh, and a variety of organizations over the last few years that just shouldn't be there, that add zero value to the rep. Um, you know, maybe they were kind of a started as a BDR and then they went into BDR management and then that transitioned into AE management, but they've actually never sold enterprise, um, you know, in- enterprise SaaS before. And you can see those gaps from a mile away. So, yeah, I. I don't. Uh, I I don't have time for that kind of approach, where it is more kind of bias hiring, or as an employee retention tactic, put people in mid-management roles, um, and kind of see how they go, because that has a detrimental impact on, on especially high performers. You know, as, as high performers, whether you're an AE or a CS, if you have a manager, or if you see leaders in the organization that aren't shit hot. Um, it's not very inspiring and it doesn't it doesn't just it's not a display of an example of what great looks like. Um and I feel and probably this is a bit too idealistic, but I think that leaders should always be an amazing example for what good does look like, you know.
0: It seems like we're going into a time um with the macroeconomic environment and some rhetoric I um listened to the other day that because that and there's a lot of risk aversion, a lot of vendors are doing what's been done in the past and the same leaders who've you know, look um, managed a typical software vendor, are getting the same shots because there's risk aversion and they don't want to take a shot on emerging talent in those roles. What impact do you think that has on the state of diversity in sales?
1: Yeah, I think that has a big impact. Um, you know, I think with all industries and jobs, it absolutely could be a lot a, a lot more diverse you know thankfully at binder we've got a healthy mix of folks from all backgrounds which is really great and you know they seem to be very uh, supportive of um women in leadership so our our global director of revops is a young kind of 20 something incredibly smart person you know um and our new chief customer officer is is a woman based in boston who is just ridiculously smart, but I I think, I think it's because our CEO is very open to leadership, not looking like them. And that's the biggest challenge, right? There is so much bias and then you end up with, um, yeah, just middle-aged men in suits, uh you know, leading things, but not necessarily setting the example for people that uh, they need to see And this is actually one of the big reasons why I'm motivated to move into leadership is to be the change and be the example that other um that other sellers and other people in the organization look to because if if you don't see it, it's hard to achieve it and it's hard to imagine it for yourself in in the you know in your profession. Uh, so it's something that just takes like you know serious change and open mindedness, um, but also why it's important to join a company where there is diversity in leadership. I will always look at the leadership page on a company, and if it's all if it's all older white men, I never apply.
0: <laughs> From the meritocracy um point we discussed for individual contributors financial earnings, sales is a little bit of an outlier in that as we know um it can be unbiased in that results equal financial earnings i think i think that's probably fair to say and i see that you know weekly at least anecdotally but what's the experience of a woman in tech in what's the experience of working in sales, re- regardless of the outcome, which is financial, but it's obviously more to that. What's the experience do you feel versus, um, uh, a man working in tech sales? Is it a meritocracy besides the financial outcomes, the day to day and the expectations, um, relationships. Do you feel that that is still different or it's completely equal?
1: yeah, I don't think it's completely equal yet. I think, um I think the experience for me in my career i I've had a great experience and and I really feel like I've always opportunities have opened up for me because of my hardworking ethic and because I can uh, outpace other, you know, male counterparts in my in, in the organization because of, um, you know, maybe the difference in in sales skill set and approach. Um, and thankfully, I've been surrounded by leaders who have recognized that and haven't been afraid to uh, give me a platform to, to share my success. So I, I do count myself very lucky um, because I know that that's not the same for, for many other, you know, female AEs. Who uh, maybe are often overlooked. They might get the the B territory. They might not get as much support from their managers to join calls because it can feel like a bit of a bro club. Um, yeah, I I think that I that that also as a person I'm I will just muscle in there and I see everyone as equal, you know. So it's there are absolutely and have always been times where I'm in a presentation also to a stakeholder where all of the people that I'm presenting to are men. And I'm probably the the youngest and the only female in that meeting room that happens all the time. And I actually, unfortunately, I think it happens in APAC more than what it did in Europe and sale in, and us. And I think that's because our, the sales profession here is maybe not as mature as what it is in those markets. Um, But I've, yeah, I've I've just I've I've navigated it because I think that you have to have um confidence in yourself and confidence in your skills and be in an environment and culture where that's recognized. And if you don't feel like that's recognized then it's not it's not the place for you, you know. And I think I've also I'm a bit of an anomaly in that I've had mostly female sales leadership at um at Similarweb and early on in my career in media sales. And so I actually had amazing examples, you know, of what what great looks like earlier on in my career. It's only been since moving to APAC that it's shifted back to um, male leadership. But that's why I'm also thankful of, and I was very prescriptive mentally about who the leadership would be at the, the next company that I was joining because I wanted to keep up with that trend and not feel like I was on the outside of a, of of a secret bro club, you know?
0: (laughs) How far behind is APAC, if you could say that in terms of what you've seen in other, in other regions, is there an element of, I don't know the phrase, but we do, we do hear of initiatives and, you know, people talking about what they're doing to promote um, women in sales. Is there an element of greenwashing, if you might call it that, is there an element that, or do you think there's a genuine real push to improve diversity here in the region?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I've seen s- some groups. Um, you know, I think is it salient to have a woman in tech sales group? But I, I feel like we're probably a good several years um maybe more behind. Uh, you know, I I and maybe it's just because I haven't actively looked for it, but it would be great to see more women in tech initiatives happening. Um yeah, it's it's a great question and a good call out. Uh I would love to see more of it. Um, but it's yeah, it's I, I think that that is either companies that are looking to start to create a bit of a employment funnel that need to initiate more of those. You know, I think I think that Amazon did something like this where they were having a, you know, just a, a kind of a wine meetup several weeks ago that I got an invite to where they were just Focused on building up a funnel of potential talent, and I think that's great. If if larger organizations who have satellite offices here, like the Microsofts and Amazons and and Salesforces of the world, can, as part of their you know diversity and inclusion, have more budget and more uh, spaces for people to to meet, that can only be a good thing. But I yeah, unfortunately, I don't see that yet.
0: Right. Because the, the greater share of applicants that might be um, women would be a good thing, right? I I'd suspect at the moment it's it's massively underrepresented um, and just a larger talent pool uh, opening up that pathway.
1: Yeah, massively. And I don't think people actually realize that it is a career path. I think women often uh, can gravitate more towards support roles, Um be it customer success or be it, um, you know, uh, marketing coordinator or, or those kinds of roles instead of ones that are very front and center like sales. Mm. Um, but, and, and I think it's just because of the perception of that. So everyone needs to play their part in in encouraging diversity because, you know, women make amazing sales leaders and AEs. There's no ego so it's uh it it's just all about doing the right thing and solving the pain points and being really organized. Um and kind of yeah, and, and those are your guiding principles. And and that that is the inherent difference, you know. So celebrating those differences more. I'd probably even th- say it's not something that is actively even talked about um in the organizations I've worked at. So yeah, I think uh I've had CSMs join a team that I started in San Francisco who made incredible AEs uh, because they had that just kind of more of a uh, hunter mentality and that should be celebrated more and then opportunities actually come from that for those people. So, yeah, it's probably more on the um, uh, talent side and internal organizations looking at what attributes people have and then being proactive to offer them the different pathway that they might not have considered
0: right right So, a real positive bias um way that we can educate uh, and build 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 those networks yeah it's really interesting because this is a massive um topic to get into but whether australia being a bit more patriarchal that's the reason why um underrepresented groups don't feel they can take that pathway so a lot of work to be done but people like yourself punching up um and then getting into leadership roles it seems like that's a real recipe for success as well, a lot of the talent teams can be doing. And I I think a lot of those big businesses are doing good things, but I think we're a way off for now, right? So um, we can certainly take that advice on board. Um, Back to success, what are you seeing right now, if you could summarize in a couple of points, how reps can level up their performance right Mm -hmm. now?
1: Yeah, um, get a handle on... On AI and how AI can support you in your role. Um, in the last few months, I've started using Chat GPT uh, to build, and I've been getting even like better and better and better at this, but basically build really niche target lists for me. Um, refine my outreach messaging to be super targeted, super personalized. Uh, you know, I think there's a, a ridiculous wave of AI capabilities. Uh, being released into all the tools that we do use from the likes of Sales Loft to, to Chorus. And all of those are really helpful. Um, so reps can leverage AI to, you know, fulfill the low value tasks that we all spend so much time on. Even in my follow-up emails, I've started to, you know, I'll prompt ChatGPT J- with like, this is the transcript. This is what I want the outcome to be, like draft a message. And then at least I've got a skeleton and i've maybe saved 2 minutes but that's 2 minutes 20 times a day you know um so i i'm really trying to kind of embrace and leverage that more um secondly just be more human you know connect in human ways um listen you know to what your your prospects are telling you and listen to understand not listen to react or respond um I, I think I'm, I'm trying now to suggest uh, a lot more coffees and lunches or even just like walks with people that I'm selling to, um, to connect in, in a more relationship based way. Um, you know, I think no one wants to speak or, or respond to someone who's, uh, pitch via email or over the phone sells generic and dull, um, you know, and and sorry, sounds generic or dull, and I think that's that's just something to be really aware of. And we can all be more human. The conference last week, the Martech symposium, I had great conversations with senior stakeholders at my dinner table, and it was purely about their dogs, and the holidays that they're going to take, um, and and then like a very small amount of of work chat. But that has led to more meetings and discussions. And then third, I'd say focus on on solving specific problems and identify and map the value drivers of what you're solving for to those requirements or needs. Um, you know, positioning yourself as a trusted advisor and really helps you stand out with a clear business case and problem solution fit. And this doesn't need to be a 10 page or 10 slide thing. It can be a very simple slide. But I think too often, aes are just trying to sell without really understanding or articulating the pain points that they're solving for um and that is you know that's been absolutely key to my success over the last 15 years so a a constant like consistent trait to level up
0: how do you define success Roxy?
1: how do i define success yeah um you know it's changed over the last 15 years right now it's keeping healthy and feeling happy in what i'm doing i know that's a very kind of soft uh answer but this as i mentioned before you know this month marks 15 years in sales for me um and i can i can honestly say that it's been super rare in the last 15 years when I've done a standard 40 hour work week. I I think it's actually almost impossible. Um, So whilst working really hard and consistently has led to financial success, none of that means anything without me feeling healthy, without my wife or family feeling healthy and positive relationships with people in, in my life, you know. So success and and how I define success now is a combination of maintaining a mix of fun and leisure outside of work and nurturing the relationships with friends and family that I that really I value and are kind of the, that's the number one and, and two for me. Whereas even just five years ago, it work was number one, two and three, and I thought that was success. But you kind of, yeah, I, I woke up one day and you know, realized that I had kind of neglected things that actually are really important. So, um, yeah, it's evolving, but I feel like it's it's, you know, I've done my absolute hard yards, and now the success is uh, putting back into my life and my um, uh, sense of well-being and really prioritizing that.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And you're right. It is always evolving. That's why I love that question. You know, five years, it might be different again. Um, and it's clear that you're, you're very thoughtful, um, as a, an elite performer. And well, I suppose you've, you've done it in quite a sequential career trajectory where you've spent those long hours and built so much success. And now you're starting to think about how do I, how do I bring them both together to, um, get an outcome? I saw some advice, which, um, it was a little bit, you know, Startup, could you say toxic? I'm not sure, but it was to say early in your career when you don't have any commitments. That is when perhaps you want to be doing the long weeks and the the late hours and really committing to something. And then when you do have more commitments, you might want to start to wind that back and create some more balance. That's something that's obviously proven really successful for you. Would you Would you recommend that advice?
1: Yeah, as you were saying that, I was thinking of you know that that probably is true for people who. Given they're all in their twenties and then in their 30s, they, they maybe have kids, you know, and uh or maybe have like other priorities and, and things. Um I would it, it would be great if things worked in such a linear way <laughs> that we could like for a certain period of time just go all in and then kind of wind down. Um, but like as we know, that's just that's so hard. That's not the case. Uh I, I think that it is it's a it's a careful balance of doing your best output without without it needing without you needing to make serious life sacrifices um and i think it's just getting more efficient at things or really you know using things like ai to save time um or if there's some an email that you really want to get out does it really need to go out today can that wait for tomorrow uh you know so it's yeah, I, I think that I'm glad that I put in so many hours in my in my twenties and early thirties because it definitely helped me to get a lot more experience much faster, and it rewarded me the opportunities. But I probably, knowing what I know now and what burnout can feel like too, I probably go back to kind of my 27, 28 year old, year old self and say like, you don't need to be in the office every night until seven you can have left and do this tomorrow you know so Mm. yeah healthy habits kind of have the benefit of hindsight i guess and everything is ebb and flows but i would uh yeah i would definitely go back and tell myself now you know back then to have had more of a leave the office earlier and enjoy and enjoy life after work you know right
0: (laughs) interesting um (laughs) <laughs> Roxy, you've been a fantastic guest, and it's been a really exciting uncovering your elite performance. I've learned a lot, and I know there'll be many um, listening and um, later watching who um, pick up loads from you as well. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, I'm sure there'll be um, other that, others that want to follow you and learn more from you in the future. You, you open to up and comers if they want to get some advice or about you. They can. How would they go about connecting with you?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so LinkedIn is great. I'm pretty active on there. Um, that would probably be the best place. Very happy to chat with anyone else, you know, going forward. Uh, and thank you, thank you for creating a space for conversation and creating a space that highlights diversity and sales, and you know, creating a space for healthy discussion and and talking about topics that aren't just the numbers. So I really appreciated uh, speaking with you about all of these things too.
0: Absolute pleasure. Um, Well, thank you again and and best of luck with uh, the startup.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, John-Joe. Appreciate it.